Hello, and welcome back to the Electric Punch Podcast. I am always your host, Logan Grigsby. And remember, friends, drink more water or you might die. I have the honor to welcome tonight's guest, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, the manager of Inner Workings Management uh, and Glockwork Records, with such names as Gobsmacked, Jamuel Saxon, Missinia, Missinian, Sinister Bass, Solar, and Cavalry. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome Gobsmacked or Denver. So my first question would have to be, um, I ask this from anyone in the, from the Deep South, what is your alligator events plan? Yeah, so you're walking down the street, you're taking your dog for a walk, and a gator comes out. What do you do? Um, that's a tough one, man. Um... I used I'm to live. Help, yeah, I used to I'm live in. Help, I used to live in Florida, so I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Yeah, Florida man wrestles alligator. Yeah. That's not me. That, yeah. I won't be that Florida man. I'm calling, I'm calling the Florida for, man. That's calling, what I'm doing. I'm calling the Florida man himself. Well, give me a call, brother. I'll come down there and I'll wrestle any alligator. Uh, Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background? How old were you when you kind of decided that you wanted to get involved in the music industry? um let's see here uh my first show mm-hmm. or experience of like rave culture was 2008 um Veteran. it was uh yeah definitely definitely it was um it was before electronic music is it was commercialized the way it is now like you know we had coming from new york especially from Brooklyn, New York, we had what was called Outlaws. Mm-hmm. So I remember the show was Supernatural 3.5. It was um, near a park uh, underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. And like, oh, you know, back then, <laughs> back then, like that was long ago, but back then you would have, you know, I, I used to promote with the, well, the, first, the company that put that on was New York City Ravers, NYCR. But back then you would have to, no promoter, right? And then you would go to a venue and then the promoter would check all of the tickets or make sure that you are RSVP'd. Then you'd go to another venue. Oh, That's how underground man. it was. Like we're talking warehouse. So then you'd go to another venue, right? Just to, and then you would get vetted again and, and then to go to another venue. This probably happened four or five times until I, you know, I just really i always got around the decision makers you know who's putting on the shows and i would mm-hmm. communicate with them so it happened a handful of times um and uh you know the guys putting on the shows back then were uh, david shockbach um jesse free um eric nycr like those were like the, the the three or four and they all worked on the same team um but they were the ones that were holding down the city and holding down the scene for me when I, when I went to my first show and it was like, again, it it was in a baseball field outside, like completely dark generators running, like (laughs) at least a thousand kids just going off and like, you know, it wasn't pitch black dark, but it was dark, man. It was like, it was like, I don't know if you ever said the color of glow sticks, (laughs) dude, it was awesome. It was such a vibe. I felt, I never felt like so safe. Everybody was having a good time. You know, first time I, I went to this place and speaking of safe, you know, as I'm leaving, I see like, his BMW on fire, like oh, as we're leaving, man. it's like on fire, flames in the cab of the vehicle. Dude, it was insane. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was my first show, and then that sounds like a beautiful um, first show. Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was incredible, man. It was like they were playing drum, uh, drum and bass, and a lot. Of, and this was back when hard style was like mm-hmm. really prevalent. Like I, you know, I came up listening to hard style. Was it wasn't necessarily my thing per se, but mm-hmm. it was so much around me that I got to appreciate it and the kids that listened to it and the people that appreciated it um and then fast forward to uh you know between 2008 and 2012 i was in high school i was just entering high school i think i was like 12 or 13 at the time and um but i was listening to electronic music since like 2007 2006 like i'm talking since like early like 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 koki and banga mm-hmm. uh, old school rusco like pro nails um you know stuff like that like way back when and like uh what was that um remember starry eyed with ellie golding and like you know like that that kind of energy you know Mm -hmm. and um fast forward to 2012 man i i 
graduated high school and I went to Mercy College for music, business, and technology. I knew throughout that four-year period, I was like, music. Music is uh, what I want to do. Yeah, well, it has to be a part of what I wanted want what yeah. I want to do. It has to be, you know, uh, it has to drive parallel with my dreams, mm-hmm. my goals, and my ambitions. So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, how long how long has your company been around now? So, uh, so I went to college twenty twelve. Um, I started Glockwork Records mm-hmm. um, twenty sixteen, the summer solstice of twenty sixteen. So, I'm like super big into like numerology and like you know, dates and times yeah, and things. Like that. Absolutely. You know, yeah, man. Like, you know, the, the ancient, you know, Egyptians and Romans and they, they had it going on, man. They knew it was good. So like, you know, when it comes to the summer solstice, it's like, it's the longest day of the year, yeah. you know, June 21st. So, um, started it then. So I guess you would call it about, I think six years now we're coming oh, on six ass. years. Yeah, you know, man. I, it's I been fuck a- with the symbology. I fuck with the numbers. That's that's actually really cool. We can say that you you started your company on the longest day of the year on the solstice. You got that energy. You got that vibe. Yep, yep, yeah, man. Energy is very important. I think it's super important when you start things and how you do things because how you do one thing is how you do everything, man. You know, that's something I've learned from my mentors. Like, so it's like I'm very intentional with the things that I do in my life and the people that I'm around and just yeah my time man you know hence Glockwork. Glockwork was going to be originally called clockwork but there was another label with that and i was like mm-hmm. you know what electronic music let me make this edgy you yeah. know um, i like to put out the disclaimer it has nothing to do with violence or nothing to do with guns or anything of that nature like you know protect yourself out here we got gators running around you know what i mean but <laughs> like you know what i mean like attack at any time anywhere at any time you gotta be ready <laughs> you gotta be ready bro get that strap for real um but yeah, man, you know, it, so that, it, that was when the label started, you know, June 21st, 2016. And then um, I started my uh, agency, um, uh, 2000, so it was um, December 21st, uh, mm-hmm. 20, 2019. So that was the winter solstice. Oh, um, badass. Got, got both of the spectra, sides of the spectrum. You yeah. Got Halloween, Halloween covered up now. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. So yeah, man. Uh, so this is gonna be a tough one would you rather go on a date with a tiger king or dress like him date with a tiger king hmm you know i'd go on the date with the tiger king you know why because i'd sit down and ask him what i could learn from him it's as gonna a be king. it's gonna be an experience it's gonna yeah, be yeah, an experience yeah. you're gonna learn I, so you're I, gonna I, get something from it yeah man yeah i'm all about sitting down with people and like listening so i'd bring a a list of notes like how do you conquer the jungle how did you you know how are you gonna um like pass down your you know the throne to your heirs like i I would like ask questions um i got a friend of mine that does that she's awesome Mm -hmm. uh really pretty woman and what she'll do is she'll like She'll go on dates with like multi-million dollar people just to like pick, just their, to brain. pick their brains. That's that just like, kind of genius. Just like, all right, we're not doing anything else. And I love her for it. I'm like, yo, like that's so smart, man. You know it what I really mean? It really is. Um, no, no cap. That really is. Really, especially I, as a woman. I have a homegirl like who has mailed, like has somehow has acquired a list of hundred millionaires and billionaires and she mails them. I don't think it's ever worked out for her really though. <laughs> Yeah, Melling, yeah, you know, millionaires and billionaires, they're pretty versed. They're like, well, yeah. everybody wants a piece of me. I'm going to be mindful of who I give my energy to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'm, I think I'm going to give her some advice. I'm like, hey, get him to take you on dates. Go, go a little bit smaller. Right. No billionaires. Get him to take you on just a nice date. Pick their brain. Get some ideas. Right, right. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Because what better way to learn than from people that have already done it, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're originally from New York, it sounds like. How did yes. you get down to Atlanta? Are you still down in Atlanta most of the time? Or are you back in New York? And then most of the time I see from your website, everything seems to be pretty spread out. Or I'm going to get yeah. to that more later. But yeah, are you down in Atlanta? How did you get down there? Great question, man. Yeah, I mean, I've always been focused on a bigger vision, like a bigger vision just than just the US, right? Absolutely. And I, you know, this is, a good, this is a great question. Like, you know, honestly, it's like in... We'll, we'll call it specifically electronic dance music, music culture, uh, bass music culture. It's like so many of the kids that come up here in the U.S. want to stay here in the U.S. Like if you read a lot of people's like 
like their not their writer but their epks it's like you know um it'll be like florida based or you know hailing from new york kind of mm-hmm. thing and i remember doing that but then it's like now it's just like that doesn't matter because it's like i the goal is to build a worldly brand a world so band. right 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 so i left new york um in 2017 and I moved to Michigan for three years. Um, you know, I grew I grew up camping and like wanting to travel okay. and um, yeah, and electric. So I, you know, I grew up in like Brooklyn, but also like upstate New York, mm-hmm. like the Hudson Valley, mm-hmm. like Rockland County, okay, um, so Orange County. You know, so I was like, ba- I had I had a really good balance between the city and then like my connection with nature and like beauty and, and you like gotta have that. Yeah, and it was paramount and. Um, so I was uh, I was going to Electric Forest every year since like 2011, mm-hmm. 2012, and uh, 27, you know, five years in a row going. I was like, you know what, um, I'm going to move to Michigan. You know, I'm going to move to Michigan where Electric Forest is, is at up in Rothbury because they were the first, like, mm-hmm. as from like I would say 20, like 2015. I went to 23 music festivals, right? Oh, and. Wow. But like back to back and not on like any type of wookery, but my goal was to network. Like I really got out there and that's how I built up my label. I built up my email list. I built up a mm-hmm. solid following um, direct to consumer uh, and just building up and forging relationships. Just like I reached out to you. I was like, yo, let's, you Absolutely. know, let's talk and let's work out. Like, you know, I've just learned um, to just really be forthright and be forthcoming, especially if you're trying to manifest things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, I, um, so back to your question. So yeah, so left New York, uh, 2017, moved to Michigan for three years. Um, one of the reasons I also went to um, Michigan is because I was tri- I was driving 12 hours every Ooh. year to go to Electric Forest. Yeah. Like I'd leave and, you know, go through Jersey, Ohio, PA, which is like a five hour drive going east to west and Ohio and then finally Michigan. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm done with New York. I've done everything that I've wanted to do here. There's nothing really left for me to do that I w- didn't want to do. Um, so I moved, you know, packed up, um, had $10,000 and I moved to Michigan. And that was like the best decision I made for myself, man, for real. Like uh, just getting out of not the trap per se, because New York, I love New York, but mm-hmm. it, it's very easy to get stuck in a big city like I that. I can imagine so. Uh, you know what like I mean? That in Kansas. It definitely is like that here in Kansas and Missouri. Mm-hmm. You get stuck here. Right, right. And I think, you know, I think it's like that in any place that you grow up in that you're Absolutely. from. You know what I mean? Because at the um, end of the day, it is home. I like I've, I was born and raised in Kansas City area. I've moved around. I've lived in Portland, Oregon. I've lived in Florida. I've lived all over. At the end of the day, Kansas City is always home for me. So I, I get that completely. Right, right. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I like challenge my, challenge, challenging myself and being in, put in uncomfortable positions to mm-hmm. learn, man. You know, so I, packed up, went to Michigan and, uh, you know, really scaled my, my business and my agency there. You know, I was booking, uh, so like every year on the summer solstice, I would do a show, like a, like I do a a pretty massive show. Like the first year we did the first year Glock work, then the second year Glock work. So the third year that, which was the last year we did, we had Ill Gates, Juju Beats, and then I build around like a local talent pool. So what I do is I'll get one live performer, right? I don't want to just want to, my goal wasn't to just book, like be like other people doing shows and it's just like book a DJ. You know, I wanted to book a live element. You know, the mm-hmm. second year we had Asadi in Brooklyn. That was 2017. After I did that, and I was like, all right, I sold out the show. Um, and I was like, I'm moved, you know, I want to get out of here. So I uh, moved to Michigan, did that show within a year. And um, yeah, man, that brings me to about like 2019, 2020 when I started the agency, you know. Okay. Okay. So walk me a bit through the history of your company. When you originally started, you say six years ago about, was it originally just you? Did you, was it, was you starting it with friends? What kind of made you the idea to say, I want to go from a DJ to starting a company? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I like studying, um, business models, man. I'm a nerd on the inside. I read a lot Mm -hmm. of books. Um, but, you know, going to all these festivals, I started noticing the business model, you know, like, let's say you got a 200,000, you got a $200 ticket, right? You got $200 tickets. Um, and let's say you get, um, I don't know, my first festival was uh, Camp Bisco up in Ram, uh, Ram. No, that wasn't Ramblewood. That was the old Woodstock. Mm-hmm. That's where it was. Old, the original Woodstock. 
So now let's just say you have, um, you know, average $200 tickets for a festival and you get 10,000 people to come to your festival, right? Mm -hmm. That's $2 million right there, you know? So I started looking at the business model of how, you know, the Bisco Biscuit or the Disco Biscuits, excuse me, <laughs> the Bisco Biscuits. No, the, the Disco Biscuits, you know, they put on that festival and I started realizing, well, you know, they take their money, the money, just like Excision right, does, right? And a lot of these bigger artists, they take their money from their touring and their proceeds and they put on an event where they integrate vertically, meaning they'll put on an event where now you're coming in, you're purchasing their tickets, you're buying their water, you're buying everything on their land for two to three, two to five days, and they control all of the income and outcome, all of the cash flow. Absolutely. And that was very that was very intriguing to me because I went to Mercy College for music, business, and technology. You know, I've mm -hmm. always been business savvy. I've always loved the idea of business and like providing somebody value through a service or a product and earning an income from that and working on referrals. I love, you know, referrals. If you, you know, repeat and re repeat and referral business is the best business, man, 100%, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but then, you know, I'd look at the Camp Bisco lineup and see 10 of these artists are on the, the Electric Forest lineup and these guys are on the Shambhala lineup and these guys are on the Dance Fest. So I started, you know, just looking at the quote unquote matrix of it all and how the business was ran because quite frankly, man, which one of the things, I think I discussed this on one of our, you know, our first phone calls together is like the disruption that's happening in electronic music right now. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm, I'm really happy about it, but like there is no business model, right? Like if you think about, the leader of the industry, which would be, let's call it Skrillex, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that model, if you look back to 2011, I believe it was 2011, 20, I think 2011 was when he went on the mothership tour right after he got his yeah. Grammy. That was right after the scary monsters and night Sprite album came out. Um, which a lot of people don't know. Dead mouse actually, uh, introduced Skrillex to Atlantic Records mm -hmm. and Atlantic Records and Big Big Beat Records gave him like an exorbitant amount of money. I don't know the number, but from what I've heard, it's like in the millions. And he used that money to fund his album and then uh, fund a full fledged tour. If you look at that that tour, man, it was like something like fifty something dates. How do you go from producing music for five? You know, let's just call yeah. it. 2007 to 2011 four years and doing a world and he it was a worldwide tour it wasn't just the u.s it was a world he did asia europe america i think he even had some dates in australia so i started you know looking at the leaders in the industry if you want to learn about an industry study the leaders study the Absolutely. people who are you know who are leading the industry so looking at what skrillex did i was like hmm okay great model but there wasn't a model of like um, like you see master classes now, like, you know, imagine if Skrillex were to sit down and be like, hey, this is how you handle royalties. This is how you handle a writer. This is how you handle sync licensing. This is how you handle uh, tours. This is how you, all of that amount of value would be, disrupt this industry so much, so much, man, that it would bring, it would bring, it would disrupt it so much that it would bring a, a ton of value to the space that we're in right now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so yeah, I, I just, I love business. I love studying business models and how they work, man. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, you know, I hope that, that answers that question. I kind of went off Absolutely. on it. Okay, so how did you come up with the name Inner Workings? Is there any story behind that or? Love it, man. Yeah, great question. So um, like I said before, I, I'm, I'm a nerd, man. I'm very into like steampunk and like clocks and like, mm -hmm. you know, what's going on beneath the surface? You know, if you can hear what I'm speaking about. Yeah, like a yeah. I love steampunk. Yeah, yeah. There's I'm, a I'm definitely nerd myself. So yeah, right, right. Like Gears of War, like mm -hmm. that, that dude, like stuff like that. Halo. I love you know the inner workings of things, and mm -hmm. I think you know like when I when I was sitting on the name, I sat on the name for like a year, and I wanted to the work piece to kind of incorporate with the Glock work, right? Like mm -hmm. when I started the label, it was like, hey, listen, like you know, I'm not just releasing all your music. It, it requires work to build up a brand and release music and like keep a, a, a steady fan base. So I was like, I wanted it to be very clear when I was signing artists that we were a family, but we're also here to work. Yeah, like I'm not absolutely. just, you know, put countless time, energy, hours, and money into someone else's brand. And if ultimately be sitting there busting their ass to make it work exactly. and help everybody out themselves. Exactly. I'm like a big if I'm believer. Going, you can't help somebody who won't help themselves. 
Amen. Amen to that, man. If I'm going harder for your brand than you are, mm-hmm. then we have an issue. Yeah, exactly. We have an issue, yeah. you know? Um, so with that being said, um, yeah, inner workings came about, man, because like, I love the inner workings of things, like mm-hmm. all of the things I've been mentioning to you, you know, how business models work, how festivals work, how business works. I like the inner workings of it. So that's where inner workings came about, you know, trademark the name, copyright the name. Um, and I want it, you know, the goal is to have it be a staple agency, one of the biggest agencies in the world, but mm-hmm. not just for talent management, but um, for uh, professional services, graphic design, mm-hmm. media, websites, like a one-stop shop. For everything right? you need. For everything. And that's on the front end. But I also, you know, have subject matter experts that I work with that can handle taxes, that can handle how to start up mm-hmm. an LLC. LLC. All things. Yeah. All LLCs are super important, man. You Absolutely. know, a lot of artists. Yeah. A lot of artists just want to get started in this industry and not realize how important it is. Like, let's say, you know, uh, you start, let's say you start touring, right? Or let's mm-hmm. just say you do 10 shows a year at a thousand bucks. That's a thousand, that's $10,000. If you have a booking agent, um, they may take 20%. So call that $8,000. If you don't have an LLC in place where you're, where you've sent out invoices and received payment, the government instantly takes half of that. Oof. So your eight grand now turns into four. four grand. And now that's federally. Now let's not even talk about what state, state you're takes. in. Like, I'm in, I'm in Georgia. They take 7%. So now if I'm down to four grand, um, from the from the federal government now if we're talking seven percent uh let, we'll call that maybe seven hundred dollars or something like that then the, the, you know don't quote me on the numbers but the mm-hmm. point is you're not leaving with the amount of capital that you thought you were if you don't have a business in place now mm-hmm. if you have an llc in place and now let's say you made ten thousand dollars on the road um uh, across the year but your expenditure was like seven grand to get yeah, to all those shows. Go like, all those all shows, that. play for the hotels, right. pay for the food, pay for the games. Right, right. So now you would get taxed on what's left over, mm-hmm. not what you spent on the business. So you'd get taxed on three grand instead of the uh, proverbial eight grand, you yeah. know? Um, so it's just, you know, business models, man, like, you know, people like Dale Carnegie, Dale Carnegie, the founders of this country, they built these models and these systems to benefit the rich and that's fine i don't mind capitalism but mm-hmm. you got to get out there and learn the knowledge because a lot of people hate money and they have a they have qualms and shame around money because they weren't taught how to manage money correctly i'm one of those people nobody taught teaches you how to do your taxes in high school why mm-hmm. are you t- teaching me the Pythagorean the pythagorean theorem and not, not teaching me how to do my taxes? like come on bro what <laughs> like Nah, man. I actually no. was thinking about putting a question in the about the Pythagorean in this podcast. Not gonna lie, that's so. funny. That's funny. <laughs> uh, so I guess what is it? Do you know? Do you remember? No, I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> I have no idea, man. I don't want to have an idea yeah. about that because, like, that stuff filling my headspace is not Just useful to me or, or anybody around me. You know, mm-hmm. 20 years ago. One of my mentors, Gary Vaynerchuk, he was talking about, I think it was 97, he was talking about how when BlackBerry was out, he was like, BlackBerry is going to get replaced by, you know, phones with a calculator and a touchscreen and like, you don't, you're, they're going to remove the buttons and all going to become obsolete. And that was 97. Here we are, what, 26, 25 years later. And that has happened. I can look up the Pythagorean theorem. I could be like, like hey, Google, what's Pythagorean theorem like that? You know, right. I felt I, I I have so much animosity towards the teachers who used to tell me, "Oh, well, you won't have a calculator with you all the time." I won't. Why won't I? <sighs> Amen. Amen, man. So you guys are. It sounds like an Atlanta-based company, but you're pushing influence all over. I see Arizona. I see like New York. I see Philippines. I think I even saw London yeah. on there. How do you yeah. logistically deal with that? That seems like it'd be kind of, kind of, in a way, kind of a nightmare dealing with communications Definitely. and time differences and all of that. Yeah. Definitely, man. I mean, you bring a great question. I have a map in my office that has all the time zones on it around the world. So mm-hmm. from like Philippines is 12 hours away. So, you know, right now it's 8 AM in the morning for them. Yeah. Um, Eastern, go from Eastern standard time. So, you know, when I was running the label, um, I learned a lot about business practices by running a record label. Cause listen, man, if you could sell music, you really sell anything. Music mm-hmm. is like, 
art in general is one of the oh, hardest things, things to sell. You got to convince them why, right. why it's what right. it's worth. Exactly. And why it has value to them and why they should pay for it. And I just learned a lot about running a label and like, you know, how to manage people and, um, you know, how to delegate tasks. And so I have a, you know, my VA, she's over in the Philippines. So she handles a lot of my, my, my two Philippine guys, Calvary and Sinister Base. Mm-hmm. Um, and then London, London's only a five hour difference. So, you know, I can get on a call at 9am with solar mm-hmm. and it'll be like, you know, 3pm his time, you know? Um, and, but, you know, generally it was, it, the idea is always to be worldly, man. I don't want to mm-hmm. just have guys that are here in the u.s like when I, we're running the label man we've released with over 26 countries the last time i counted i stopped counting after 25 it was like bangladesh um bosnia obviously the u.s canada argentina um west africa south africa bunch of places it, it was just like all right i was like okay cool and it felt good man it felt good in the moment to be like yo i can do this yeah, i can really huh? scale this um you know but Growing the, you know, the label, I, I just was like, you know, I just want to create now a platform which became one of the divisions of Inner Workings Management where I only release music with the guys that I do management for. So I left the platform for them because, quite frankly, they appreciate me a lot more, man. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that I started not liking running a label was just because artists had a sense of entitlement. They're like, Absolutely. now that the track is signed. I have nothing else to do. You're, and it's like, they get mad when the song would get like 10,000 plays. And it's like, Hey buddy, like I'm putting up, you know, my own money here. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, to make this happen. Right. So like typically when a label does, especially electronic music, when they're just, you know, uploading the song to a distributor and sending out to, you know, Spotify, Deezer, Apple music and all the other stores, um, they do a 50, 50 contract. So for me, uh, the way I was running my label was like, hey, listen, I'll put up $250. You put up $250. We put that towards a 90-day marketing budget. Mm-hmm. And then we actualize a profit because the way labels work, um, you get paid every 90 days. You get paid quarterly. Mm-hmm. So instead of just a label putting up 250 bucks, and then we might make that money back. And then now you're like, well, why are you splitting $50 with me? And I'm only getting 25. Hey, buddy, I put up 250 yeah, bucks on my own money. My own money. You see what I'm saying? Of my own money, right? So it's like, I told you from the get, like, I'm very much so about group economics. If we both put into the pot, we can get this for way less. And mm-hmm. everybody wins. Um, you know, and I had a couple artists that did that. And I was like, you know what? I want to focus on these guys. I know these guys are producing music that is different, right? So like, for instance... Um, Solar does drum and bass. Calvary's doing tear out. Uh, Sinister, Sinister Bass is doing um, dubstep, like actual dubstep, not rhythm. He's got some rhythm influences in there. Um, my personal project has dubstep, rhythm, drum and bass. I just personally want to make art. Mm-hmm. Um, Messinian, you know, um, electro, dubstep, trap, drum and bass. You know, also vocalist for Excision. And then Jamiel Saxon was more of like that trip hop psychedelic kind of vibe you know um wook based if you will mm-hmm. so I, I wanted to have a boutique agency that had uh a little bit of everything you know like yeah. when we go to a festival we could say you know i could pitch an artist to liquidity festival like we just had our, we just had solar play liquidity um in amsterdam literally a couple oh, months wow. ago now yeah so like and then now um you know uh he's do he's crushing it right now like and i'm really happy with what he's doing um you know with liquidity and hospital records and just like you know focus recordings really working with the top tier drum and bass guys because at the end of the day guys i'll be honest like drum and bass is my jam i, I enjoy know, i feel that I, like, i'm a big fan of drum and bass myself yeah yeah man and i love the emer- the the reemergence that it's having stateside mm-hmm. now like in the u.s and watching you know guys like amc or dimension and hybrid minds they're coming here to the u.s and they have been but like seldomly mm-hmm. you know you're seeing them more pop up in cities like Atlanta or um, I mean, the German bass scene down here is pretty, pretty tight. I like it. But you're seeing them it pop up more in Arizona or in New York or in Tampa, places where it was really just house music. House music had the, the market, um, the market domination, if you will. And it mm-hmm. still does. Don't get me wrong. But drum and bass, what it's doing right now, I'm finally happy. A lot of these kids are catching on because drum and bass is just like it's just that that's my jam, bro. You know what Absolutely. I mean? I, I've always enjoyed drum and bass Hmm. so you're obviously on the more production business side of things how do you view view music more as a business model instead of a hobby and how do you think other 
other DJs could look at it more of a business model than they currently do. Definitely. So really, um, you know, a lot of, in my experience, a lot of people that listen to dubstep or, you know, they only listen to dubstep. Right. And it's like, for me, you know, I listen to like my favorite rapper is Russ, you know, mm-hmm. for all the people out there who haven't heard of him to go check him out. Nip- and Nipsey Hustle, those two are like really great influences. And I learn a lot, you know, they, they're the type of rappers to rap about reading books and like ownership and things of that nature. And it's like, it's a different spin to the narrative of what you think hip hop usually is, which is like, you know, the, the media, the guns, the sex, the drugs, the, the violence, right. Which is part of some of these people's reality. But after a while, that stuff gets played out. Like, you know, like what value are you providing to your listener? That's actually going to want to make them actually want to repeat, listen to you, you know, customer retention, ultimately what that is. So but when you think about music, man, and I, you know, I quote this from Russ, like every one of your records or tracks that you put out is a salesman, right? Every track that you put out is selling you mm-hmm. as a brand, whether you're sending it to a promoter, whether you're releasing it to your audience, how you present um, these salesmen, right, are very important. Are they going out here? And I'll give you the analogy, right? Like if you have a rep that works for your podcast and they're going out here in a suit, I guarantee you get Joe Rogan on this motherfucker for sure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's all about presentation. And now I use the analogy that suit would be equivalent to like really good branding, really good visuals, Absolutely. you know, really great artistic feel um, to your, your music. You know, what does it feel like? What does it sound like? You know? Um, and when you're making music, right? A lot of people say, I only want to make music on brand. And it's like, that's a fallacy. That's a starving artist mindset, right? Like you look at things that like what happened with Getter, right? Yeah, that that might have sucked, but Getter was just making art and he's still making art, mm-hmm. you know? And like to me, artists get caught up in this oh producer mindset. I just want to produce dubstep. Da, 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 da. And it's like, well, that's great and all, but there needs to be some if there's a hundred other kids producing dubstep and you're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you're just gonna get classed in that same group of people doing the same thing. Absolutely. You know? Like it, it's just inevitable. There's, you know, it, it takes a lot to punch through the noise of, mm-hmm. you know, Spotify, you know, they, I think it's, I don't even know. I think the last time I checked in 2020, it was like 26 million songs uploaded like every month, something crazy and absor- exorbitant. It had like two or three comments. I was I just like, all right. I like, looked up how many podcasts there were last week and it was something like in the hundred million. So absolutely feel that. Yeah, man. Yeah. And it's, you know, it comes down to the value add. I think it comes down to, what is the value that your music is providing, mm-hmm. but also your brand? You know, if you look at emergences and like Instagram and TikTok, it's more so now about what can I learn from you as a funnel to get me to listen to your music? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've got a, as my screensaver, you know, and I've, I've been using this in an analogy a lot because I've been training new team members. But, you know, when it comes to marketing or working with anybody or doing anything, the way the funnel goes at the top, you have awareness at this under that you have consideration. And then under that you have conversion. Uh, a lot of people like to stop at conversion. Um, but really to take it a step further, you have loyalty and then you have advocacy. So if you've mm-hmm. got, you know, this year is excision's five year, fifth year of lost lands. He's got, he's brought them all the way to the funnel to the point where it's sold out now before doors have even opened. He's got that loyalty and advocacy to where the people that have gone to his festival are like, yo, you need to go you check this out. Check this I, out. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I personally, over the past four years, have past four years have brought over 10 people to lost lands myself. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show, you know, I became aware of his brand. I considered it, mm-hmm. right? The conversion was me paying for a ticket. You know, last year I worked it on my birthday and then now I'm loyal to his brand. And now I'm like, yo, like uh, John or Jaylee, you need to come and check out this festival. It'll change your Big life. So that word of mouth and people getting, right. taking other people, that really is the best way, especially in the arts, like telling somebody hearing about a concert. And eh, that's one thing Well, somebody's best friend coming up and like, Hey, we're going to this concert. That that's, that's, that's everything. Right. Especially, I mean, I remember when your reunion happened, I think it was, was it last year or 2020? Maybe I think it was 2021. I bought, as soon as the tickets dropped for reunion, I bought a ticket for my partner and my best friend at the time in Michigan. I was like, yo, we doing this. I bought the tickets, had them paid me back. And I was like, we are out. We got VIP for like 120. I was like, 
done no questions asked because i love these people i care about these people i want to come ha- i want to have them come exp- you know have an unforgettable experience with me um but back to your question about how you know music man honestly there's a fine line between music being a hobby and a career and i think that fine line is an inch deep and a mile wide if that makes sense and i yeah. will elaborate so like mindset is very big as a creator man as a business leader but like your mindset um you know we could take it even a step deeper and talk about imposter syndrome when you just start starting when you just start something out you're not an expert at it you're still learning the ropes so you may or i'm not gonna say you let me i'll use myself for instance like when i first started um my record label you know i had a sense of imposter syndrome straight up you know i'll get vulnerable i don't i don't mind that it was like well you know i'm here um, at the time, I was uh, um, doing talent buying for uh, the Brooklyn Bazaar and Webster Hall. So I'm learning all the ins and outs on how to, you know, do hospitality and things of that nature while running a label. And there was a lot of imposter syndrome there for me as well because, you know, I, I didn't know how to make money from it. I still had a job. You know, I was still like, well, how do I do this? Now that I've got this LLC, this EIN, this business, how do I do this? So for me... I had to really switch my mindset very quickly where it was like, this is a business. There's a reason it's called show business. Okay. Absolutely. A lot of people just want to, a lot of people just want to do the show and that's fine. That's why you hire booking agents and managers. Hence why I have the role that I do now. Like I still, you know, make music and produce, but for my own pleasure, not to put out and for it to get a hundred thousand plays and be like, yo, go check out my new song. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it, it, it just got so cliche. I, you know, there was a point where I was dropping music every other week. You know, I've got over 160 records on the label now. And it was like I was dropping music every other week. And it was like, you know, instead of reaching out to people via email or, you know, um, go do this, go do that. I had built up an email list of over like 80,000 people over the course of five years. So when I release a song now, I'm just direct emailing it to the consumer. They don't have to go and, you know follow me on Instagram, you know, which is great, or follow me on whatever other social media, I was going direct to consumer. I was creating my own funnel when I went to these festivals. I was like, hey, let me get your email, right? When we, I'll add you to my email list. When we, re, when we release new music, you'll get it directly. So there was a, a major mind shift, uh, mindset shift that happened for me from 2015 uh, really to 20, like, 18. You know, I realized, you know, I was going to I was going to Mercy College for music business and technology and I stopped going the the first year of the first semester of my junior year because I was like, well, I'm graduating in a year and a half, so I started looking at the financials and I was like, by the time I'm done with this education, it's going to cost me almost $100,000. And I was like, nope, I was 17 at the time. I think I was like 19 when I made this realization. And I was like, nah, man, like 10 years from now, do I want to be paying back $100,000 in student loans? And I was like, and, you know, for me, I make decisions very easy. If I have to mm-hmm. second guess myself, it's a, it's a no. Mm-hmm. So I was like, instead, you know, I, I stopped going in 2014, you know, went on the road, really built up my acumen from, you know, that, sp- that summer 2014 to 2016 and just went crazy. Back-to-back festivals, back-to-back building up my my email list, building up my FaceTime with people, you know, really getting in the, in the rooms, getting backstage, shaking the hands with the decision makers. Um, and I just had a mindset shift, man. And a lot of people appreciated that. And, you know, quite frankly, there are not a lot, especially during that time, there, there are not a lot of POCs in the electronic dance music culture, you know? Mm-hmm. And so when people were seeing a person of color, they were like, hmm, I'm going to pay attention, especially when it comes to the way he speaks or the way he presents himself. You might see me in the street and have a preconceived notion of how I'll be, but then you actually have a conversation with me and you're like, yo, this guy's got something going on. You know, now I'm at the point in my life where I know the type of value that I provide when I sit down with somebody or when I'm trying to provide value. I know that during that time, I had to really learn the type of value that I could provide just by sitting down with anybody, their grandmother, their dog or their catfish or even their alligator. Um, (laughs) So... You know, again, I think, you know, to answer your question, man, it's just a major mindset shift. You know, once you just start like getting around people like my guy, Ill Gates, Dylan, really great human being, man. You know, he taught bass nectar music. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I booked him. I want to be around the people who are influencing the culture in not just a, oh, I got a million streams kind of way. 
you know, like, what are you doing for the culture long term? You know, like Bill Gates has got producer dojo. My guys, Alex DeFire, they have DeFire Society. Um, who else? KJ Salka. I remember the first year of Lo- at Lost Lands 2017, KJ Salka and Ill Gates, they did like a, like, they did like a, ask an AMA, ask me anything, mm-hmm. like at the festival, you know? Oh, that's that, badass. Right? You see what I'm saying? I love like, shit like that. Bro, and I went, I remember, I, I, I think it was OG Knicks, somebody was playing, it was like an OG Knicks or something with that, somebody with that sound, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen here, you know, mm-hmm. and like, Bill Gates was just standing there with the shades on, with the microphone, and just t- get taking questions, you know, and like, that to me is what's going to transcend the longevity of this music scene, and quite overall, the culture. I think so too. I I absolutely agree. When I first set out to make this podcast, I think giving DJs at first, it's just local DJs, just more of a bit of a personality. So you can actually get to know, know the people you're listening to, or, you know, the people you are going to see at these shows, you're like, Oh, well, they're on one of my, one of my podcasts and go on and kind of get a feel for the type of person they are and why they make the music that they make. Right. Right. I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard, uh, seen what Taboo's doing. Taboo's doing something really cool with this podcast. It's called Taboo Talks. Um, not promoting it. I just like mm-hmm. what he's doing over there. I think you would really like um, what he's doing. He just had Grizz on a couple weeks ago. But he's a music producer that created a podcast. And he just has, like, you know, he just talks on this podcast. And, like, but when I say talks, like, it's in a way where he's asking, like, really great questions um, about how they got started. But not just how they got started, but, like, what were some influ- like influential parts throughout your career some people that you met like that type of value when you listen you know let's say artist that's just wants to make music hears that that could inspire them man you know that can really transcend the culture and i think that's what this is about you know we all get some you know a lot of people call it the scene right when i was in new york it was like the new york scene but the scene is a part of the whole that makes the culture Mm -hmm. absolutely no could not agree it's like the scenes are like the the, dig, the digits, your fingers to the arm that makes up the body, which is the culture. Like if you think about what Insomniac does, right? Insomniac is what they drive the culture on a corporate level when it comes to festivals in this country, period, period. End of story. There's no one doing it the way they are. If you th- They've got festivals on every, they, they've got the West Coast, they've got the East Coast, they've got the Southeast, they've got the Northeast. Like, listen, man, like, you know, it's, and I love what, um pasquale is doing i love his mindset i love how you know he's got a stronghold on the the like the edcs and like he just purchased what forbidden kingdom a few years ago like he's got that business mindset that's driving the culture long term you know what i mean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely so what are your views on aliens ghosts big bigfoot and the loch ness monster they all exist. They all, they all exist. Ex- for sure. See, Aliens. I think Bigfoot yeah. is really just a gorilla escape from the zoo. <laughs> and I think Loch Ness Monster might be Cap. I think the I person who got the picture, I think that was the original like guy holding, holding the fish. That was like the original. Right, right. <laughs> just look at this I think- motherfucker I caught. It's a whole ass monster. Right, right. Well, I think, man, I think, you know, all lore has some form of truth. I yeah, wasn't there. Absolutely. Like, that wasn't true. But if we take it from the top, man, I mean, aliens, like, you know, the way I look at aliens is like. They got to exist. Space is too big. They, no, they definitely do, big. man. They got to exist. Space do. is too big. Like, There's no way they don't. I kind of labeled that in like most believable to least believable with Loch Ness and Monster not being believable, Bigfoot being and ghosts being like, yeah, yeah. And aliens be like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if we take it from the top, man, I mean, aliens, like I, I, I think of it as a simple way as like, um, you know, I I study a lot of alchemy and like hermetic principles. Mm -hmm. And one of them is the law of, uh, correspondence. Um, Mm -hmm. And it talks about like, you know, that's where the idea of as above, so below comes in. So if you think about the human body, we've got millions, if not trillions of bacteria inside our gut that we know nothing about, and they only know how to keep us alive, right? I've seen that movie Osmosis Jones. I'm with it. Right. Yeah, that's my jam, man. I shout out to him. But you know, like, but if you think about, you know, just our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, like we haven't even like explored our own yeah Yeah, we haven't even scratched the surface man so 
when you think about it, there's no way um, that we're the only life forms out here. Yeah. I think, you know, we still have a lot of maturing and evolution to go to go as a species. Um, you know, you're going to get me talking into like type one, type two, type three civilizations. You know, there's a lot of um, there's something called like the, the Karti- Kardashev scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it talks about like, here, let me draw. I believe I, I know what you're talking about. Like the first step of society is like all the way up until like their space faring race. And then like step two is like they're self-sufficient, like off their own sun and stuff like that. Right, like right, the right. Last steps like they're harvesting suns and like they're yep. inter interplanetary, intergalactic kind of. Yeah, my man. I'm glad that you know that. Yeah. So the Kardashev scale is something that really intrigues me. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's like a method of of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement uh, based on the amount of energy it's able to use. So, for instance, right now. You know, we're type zero on that scale because we still use fossil fuels. We're still taking from the very planet that we live on yeah. to produce energy from us. Whereas type two, you're able to harness your sun's power. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're able An un- to like, have unlimited resource. Right. Right. Exactly. So you build, you know, a dome around the sun and you harvest that power. You know, um, scale three is you're able to harness the power of your solar system. So you can literally recreate and destroy new planets like by taking pieces of Pluto, Saturn, and Mercury and creating a completely different planet. And now um, the fourth part of that scale is harnessing the power of your entire like, like, like galaxy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like it gets massive, man, these ideas. And it's like, you know, I think about things like that, that like, for a human being to think about that in like the 1960s 1950 like bro there's what we are way late on the scale mm-hmm. when it comes to technological advancement so aliens definitely exist now you said bigfoot um bigfoot definitely exists like on like an evolutionary scale man like you know we had neanderthals like you know I they think, found both. i think he's just a gorilla escape from the zoo yeah, I, I think I it's think just I, a gorilla escape from the zoo, and then people yeah. like built this mythology up from him. I feel like gorillas escape from zoos or circuses every so often in that area, and that's that's just what whatever whatever escapes turns into is Bigfoot. Right, right. Well, I think it depends on where you're talking about, like Scandinavians and like Alaskans and like Canadians. There's oh, don't get me Bigfoot. started on the abominable snowman. <laughs> Dude, that's definitely a thing, bro. Like they, you know, they found bones of like nine feet tall human beings, man. So like now the Loch Ness Monster. I've seen DJ Diesel, man. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly, exactly. So all you got to do is throw some fur on him, man. And it's a a go. (laughs) It's a go. Um, Yeah, it's a go. Now the Loch Ness Monster, I don't know, man. We know the ocean floor. So, um. I haven't been down there, but I'm pretty sure the Loch Ness Monster is for sure. I don't know if he's a monster. I think it's just a giant lizard that's just like, bro, don't bother me, man. I've been here. I'm chilling. I've been Magellan here since before y'all got here. Don't bother me. Don't take pictures (laughs) of me. It's like the paparazzi, man. Leave me alone kind of thing, you know? All right. All right. (laughs) So why don't we talk about the value of education and music? How important do you think a degree in, say, something like music theory or something like that is to running a career in, in music? You think it's necessary? Um, I think it comes down to what role that the person wants to play. Like, you know, Absolutely. I like to give a lot. Of, yeah, I, th- I like to give a lot of shout out to like vocal coaches, bro. A lot of vocal coaches go unheard of. Like there would be, you know, no Beyonce or Elton John or Celine Dion or any of these, you know, amazing singers without their vocal coach, man. You know, I think that like that. Like, think about a coach, man, a coach of a, of, of a football team. The football team can be there, but if there's no leader, mm-hmm. if there's no guidance, you're screwed. So I think education is very important if you want to, like, provide value through teaching. Like, I love providing value through teaching and, like, you know, talking to, like, all of my, you know, when I was running my label, we had, like, a book club that we meet with every month. And I would give uh-huh. them different books on, like, mindset and things of that nature. Because mm-hmm. I, wasn't, I wasn't just like, hey, you know. Um, let's just release a bunch of music. I want to provide you value. So now when you're no longer working with me in the future, you can now spread your wings, leave the nest and go spread your own wings. Cause a lot of the artists, I'd say about 90% of the artists that released with me, 
Um, I was their first ever label release. I, you know, I've had tons of artists be like, hey, you're the only label owner to read contracts with me and like negotiate terms. And because it's like, mm -hmm. I want to, I want to entice that entrepreneurial ship. Don't be afraid to ask for what you think is right because then you don't ask. Closed mouths don't get fed, man. You know, you don't ask and then you start resenting the person that is giving you an opportunity because you didn't get the opportunity the way that you wanted it. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's very important when it comes to um, if you're going to take it like, like long term. Like for me, when I started my label, I had a, a, a five year business plan before I even started the label. I had a five year business plan. I was looking for investors and things of that nature. But you know, I think about this long term, most artists are thinking, hey, I want to DJ next summer. Or I want to DJ at this one festival. And it's like, well, after that one festival is gone, then what? You mm -hmm. know, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about the mindset shift, man. I think it's uh, now a degree. Do I think a degree is necessary to learn uh, music theory? No, I've been teaching myself music theory. Um, you know, I got myself a mm -hmm. keyboard, YouTube University, great, you know, great way. Um, but I do think it is necessary if you want to. Uh, let's, let me give an example. Like if you want to do sync licensing, mm -hmm. go to get an education. Sync licensing is complicated. Mechanical licensing is complicated. Um, you know, shout out to my mentor, Nick Sadler. He's one of the co-founders of Never Say Die. Um, a lot of people don't know who he is. And I love that. But he, without him, there would be no Never Say Die, period. End of story. You know, all the people listening, uh, go follow him on Instagram. It's um, Nick Sadler, Never Say Die Management, NSDMT, I believe it is. Um, but he is like one my number one mentor when it comes to the music industry um because he's been doing it for so long you know he's built many brands many labels um you know reach out to him tell him denver sent you but he has provided me so much value within my label um that it was just like immense you know and he had no education he just had, had experience man you know i like to say i pay my tuition to the school of experience mm -hmm. you know um, because I'm very much experience based, you know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to master a skill, but like I went to 23 music festivals, bro. I got it yeah. down packed. There's nothing you can't tell me, like, honestly. And I say that confidently because it's like, I've been in festivals where my shoes got eaten up by the mud and it got rained out. This was my, you know, Hudson project 2012 or something like that. Like bass nectar was there big, um, big gigantic grizz, like massive names. And the festival just got so rained out. They canceled it. And I've been to festivals like Lost Lands where it has been absolutely blissful and like a, a dream, like completely mm -hmm. magnificent. So I've seen the spectrum of what could be and what cannot be. So with that being said, I think um, now if you're trying to be, you know, lighting and think like, you know, be on a lighting crew or being on a or. Uh, how do I say like uh, if you're trying to build like the trusses for the stage? Yeah, you need to go get an engineering degree. Absolutely. For sure. like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. I will not. If you don't got a degree, bro, like, no, we ain't got nothing to talk about we when it comes to that. We are very big into safety first here. We're always yeah, talking about drink, yeah. drink water, you might die. Okay, yes, so here's, here's another question I think might be a good one. Um, how much of being a music, uh, successful musician is making music, and how much of it is marketing, networking, biz, business acumen? And what are some things we don't even think about when it comes to building and maintaining someone, maintaining your, your wealth? Okay. Yeah, I love that. That was a, a, a multi-pronged question. So ask me the first bit again. Absolutely. The first bit. Absolutely. Um, how much I of being a musician is marketing, networking, business yeah, acumen? Okay. How much yeah. of it? Yeah. How? How, yeah, what's the difference between... Yeah, so you, you mentioned something um, in the first time you said, you said how much of it... Um, how much of a musician is making music and how much uh -huh. is marketing, networking, business acumen? And right, right, right. So, you know, you mentioned a, a key word there. There was um, how much of it is being a successful musician, right? Successful musician. Now, uh, that, that right there, I love the way you, you added, you know, you, you asked that question because... You know, everyone has a different idea of what success is. Okay. Absolutely. So, and this is where that mindset thing comes in, man. Like for me, my success, you know, one of my, you know, biggest successes, um, you know, I've 
toured the country. I was able to put on a tour. I funded myself. We grossed, uh, we netted about 75K. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, all by my <laughs> own accord. Um, you know, all the marketing myself, all the merch myself. You know, I was the one renting out the venues. We did 18 shows um, over the course of like three or four months. It was called the Glocks and Roses Tour. And it was my a tour that, you know, I put together with all of the resources and people that I met from 2014 to like, you know, late 2014 into uh, right before I started the label. So that to me was successful, bro. Like I didn't need to have a metric of, you know, a lot of, man, you know, and I think, I think to go to your, the last part of your question, you was like, what are the things that we don't think about? I'm gonna be honest, like don't seek validation, exterior validation, man because that will kill artistry, okay? And I'll say Absolutely. that again, do not, seek, do not seek external validation. For me, I never, I, I remember being a kid, you know, I had a very, you know, I have a very loving mother. I never really had to seek validation, but for some people that may be different. And it's like, especially as a musician or as an artist, we are seeking validation. We wanna be up on stage and have someone enjoy mm -hmm. our music. That is seeking external validation. So when it comes to creating music, there's a mindset shift that has to happen there where it's like, I don't show my homies, hey, bro, uh, you like this song? That doesn't matter to me. I don't, I, because to me, that's asking validation. I'll just show them the song. And if they've got something to say, especially from running a label, if they've got something to say, they'll say it. If they don't, they don't, you know? Because I remember releasing, you know, the first couple of albums, because the first year I had the label, all I did was release albums. I wanted to build stories around the artists I was releasing with. So it was like minimum five track EP. I don't want anything less. Yeah, so the point was, you know, building around that story and allowing the art, the listener to fully be immersed in like a good 20 to 30 minutes of what this artist had to um, bring to the table. So I would always ask, hey, you know, what do you think of this EP? What do you think of this track? And I got out of that, you know, and, you know, stop seeking the external validation. Um, and that's a big one right there, man. As artists, you know, we want to put out a song and you'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll wait and see what it does. Man, that's called lack of planning. Honestly, that's what that's called. You know, it's a hobby for you. For me, you know, I'm sitting on a ton of unreleased music right now. Like my goal, you know, when I get back into the music game now, I'm, you know, taking real estate full time, but my goal is to get back in the game and drop six records over the course of a year. That's one record every other month. Listen, man, if I take those six records and I put $2,000 behind marketing those records, I'll blow up in a year. Mm -hmm. A lot of people might get pissed off at me for saying that, but that's real talk. Because yeah, if you market your product, okay, that yeah, no, that's real talk. If you market your products, man, like properly, and you put a proper budget, you if you put two thousand dollars behind a track for two months, a thousand dollars a month, five hundred bucks a week, excuse me, two hundred fifty bucks a week, your track will go absolutely viral. Especially in the 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 way we are right now with TikTok and yeah. you know Spotify. Listen, man, you put that kind of money behind anything on the internet, you'll do really well. Especially when it's just streamable and pretty much free. People are already paying Spotify ten dollars a month or ten dollars for three months to have it anyway. You know, you could really do some major damage with that. So back to the question about being you know, a successful musician. Um, and networking for me again, my success was you know being able to meet the Ill Gateses, you know um, the Rico Axe, like you know the Diesel Boys, the Reed Speeds, Nostalgia, Dark Side. It's like I've played shows with shows with all these guys, right? And to me, it's never been about oh yeah, like I got a show with X Y Z. It's always been like well now I have a relationship with this person. And now when I want to put on a show in the future, I could call on them. They'll give me their agent's number and we'll get a show like that. You know, like that to me was success, building and forging really proper relationships. You know, I can text, you know, a handful of people right now on my phone and be like, hey, what's going on, bro? Like, how are you doing today? You know, can we talk? Like, um, yeah, man. So I think that's that's you know, how I measure success. You know, everyone's got a different metric. A lot of people's metrics are 10,000 plays, 100,000 mm -hmm. plays. Like, bro, that, like, you can manipulate all that. You like, absolutely you know what I mean? can. You can buy like, you, you can buy bots yes. and anything yes. like that if you really want to. Exactly, exactly. And I've seen it done. And listen, I don't knock the people that do it. That's your business model. That's not the way I do business. But yeah. listen, like, do what you do, right? I'm never, I never knock someone else's a business. A real person especially. looks at retention. That's, that's the thing right. that really matters is retention. Who actually right. stays and listens. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, um, and that's why, you know, playing these shows. So, like, for me, that, that was a success, man. You know, like, 
this, getting on this podcast with you, right? This is, I consider this success, right? Like I'm able to um, reach out to someone that I literally listened to their podcast one time and be like, hey, bro, let's talk. I think we could provide a lot of value to one another and let's get on and have a conversation. You know, shout out to Dylan, you know, in the background mm -hmm. for really putting this on and, you know, being kind of the, you know, help being the brains of the operation or if you will, one's the head, one's the neck, you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, I always like working with um, people that aren't just in it for the short term. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a mindset that anything that I do, you know, I mentioned this earlier, moving with a purpose, but uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, man. You know what I mean? Like music is only getting better. It's only getting louder. The shows are only getting crazier. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why I stopped pushing music so hard and got into real estate. Cause it's like, my goal mm -hmm. is to come back and, you know, put up a hundred grand of my own money and put on a, a massive festival. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Self-funded from my own resources yeah, where it's like, I've heard imagine you know, need some work. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, man, you know, so it's like, you know, you want to be able to do these things yourself mm -hmm. without having outside influence. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what happens when, when people build businesses, you know, they get a board and they get a this and they get a that and they get a C-suite. And now you have all these other people's opinions and ideas on what was your baby, but is now convoluted and no longer your baby. So yeah, success, um, again, you know, understand what success is to you and go after that. You know, if this guy mm -hmm. say, says, Hey, I got 10,000 plays on the song. Good for you. But I'm not using that as a metric or like, quote unquote, it's really the bragging, right, bro. If you think about music, right? Like let's think about hip hop, right? The, 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 the bragging, right. Was before streaming was like, Oh, I got a platinum record. I got a hundred, uh, you know, I got a hundred million copies sold worldwide. That was the bragging, right? Literally. Now, when it came to, electronic music the bragging right was hey i've got ten thousand streams or i've got a thousand streams on my song go check it out it wasn't it wasn't like oh wait well what can i provide how can i provide value to my listener and make them want to go share it to somebody else now it has transitioned into that because now you have to have more of a front a front facing brand whether it's instagram your website um you know facebook and then there has to be some type of value mm -hmm. add there. And then I'm going to check out your music. So the metric is now is really, what do you own? Look at Excision, man. He's got the Excision Corporation. He's got Excision, excuse me, Excision Presents Corporation. He's got Lost Lands. He's got... Um, got Vape uh, Juice, I know. Yeah, he's got Base Canyon. You know yeah, what I mean? So Base those Canyon. three brands, he's got a triangle of two festivals on one on each coast of the country that bring him revenue twice a year, three months apart, 90 days apart. And he's also re still bringing in revenue and royalties from his music brand, not including mm -hmm. what he's doing on merch. Okay. Right. Like, yo, he crushes it on the merch side. I've never seen somebody sell more merch than excision, yo, for real. Like maybe Datsik when he was around, you know, cause I remember Datsik and excision used to come to Best Buy theater every single year in New York for like five years straight when Excision was building up his executioner tour and um you know Datsik has his his ninja tour. I know they were taught I'm I I could put money on it that they were having conversation. They were like, yo, because I remember for like four or five years straight they would swap. It would be like because I remember waiting in the cold in New York in like February. So like Excision would have February 21st and and um Datsik would have March 21st. And then the next year Datsik would have Yeah, Datsik would have the 18th and Excision of February and then um Excision would have the 19th of February. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. just it was really cool, man, the way they did it. And um so yeah, bro. Well, I would like to thank you, Denver, for coming on. Um, we are at about time. It has been an absolute blast to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule. It seems like you honestly have so much going on. Um, but it, it's been a blast, man. I'd love to have you on again sometime. But obviously, we're very busy. But I'd, obviously, I, I would love to have you on again sometime. It seems like you got a lot to talk about. But yeah, thank yeah. you. Is there anybody you want to give a shout out to or anything like that? Yeah, man. Um, well, first off, thank you, man. Thank you for the, you know, the time. Um, I hope uh, some of the, you know, your listeners really get value from this and maybe to even add it, you know, anybody that's listening that reads books, um, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, word of mouth being the number one form of marketing. My favorite book on that is uh, called Contagious. It's an orange book by Jonah Berger. It's very current, came out in 2019, 2020, and it talks about how things go viral. Um, 
Another great book is uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It just talks about how to communicate properly and negotiate and make people feel, you know, um, really good about themselves and just how to, you know, negotiate and just talk to people. Those two books, um, particularly How to Win Friends and Influence People, have has helped me a lot in this music industry. I want to give a, a huge shout out to my mom. You know, my birthday is oh, on the 27th. Yeah, her my my birthday's on the twenty seventh in a, in six days. Her birthday's on the twenty eighth. So I definitely oh, want to give a shout early out. Happy birthday! Thank you, bro. Thank you. So I definitely want to shout out to my mom. Shout out to my grandparents, my grandmother, my grandfather. Um, shout out to all the people that you know support me. Um, that supports you on your channel. Um, shout out to you, Logan, and shout out to you, Dylan. You know, I really appreciate you guys. Um, you know, taking the time out of your 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 lives and the energy out of your lives and your day to you know, get me on the show and just have an amazing conversation. And um, lastly, I'd like to uh, shout out DJ Khaled. God did. <laughs> like, shout out to God, bro. They didn't believe in us. God did. All right. Thank like, you. Thank yeah. You. Anybody that had to listen to that album, go listen to it. So with that, man, yeah, that those are all my shout outs, brother. Oh, yeah, bro. Thank, thank you again for coming on. And for my listeners, you guys be safe, stay sexy, and have a good weekend.